How is everybody? We lost our uh, left speaker this morning. I'm going to blame Brian. <laughs> Actually, I think I hooked that one up, so we'll see what's going on later on. Turn this guy on. Sorry, I haven't hooked it up. How is that? Everybody hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, good. We're off and running here. So, uh, well, good morning again. Um, I wanted to start off a little different. Um, again, Ms. Chris, thank you. Uh, I thought the same thing. I thought the, uh, the remembrance service from McSherry yesterday was just, just a beautiful time together, right? And one of the things that touched me, um, you would never know it, because all of us, of course, we went to church with Ms. Shara, but there are hundreds and hundreds of people's lives she impacted. And it's like, you just think, she, she, she sat, she greeted, she did these things. But it seemed everywhere that woman went, she just made people love her, right? And one of the great shames, uh, Trace said this at the beginning, is like sometimes, uh, and actually her uncle said this as well, is she didn't know how much she was loved. I didn't realize the impact uh, she was having. And that really touched my heart because a lot of times it's always too late, right? We go on with life and we don't realize what we have until it's gone. So what I want to do, just for a few seconds, just say hi to your neighbor. Like, greet somebody, right? Because ultimately we're here is because these lives matter. And we want, to, we want to know each other's names and each other's stories. So would you just take 30 seconds, introduce yourself to someone you don't know, love on them for a minute. My beautiful wife, Audrey, and I are celebrating 21 years of marriage on Tuesday. 21 years, please. If you are annoying with me only because you have to see me for two hours on a Sunday, this woman has done 21 years of hard time. Uh, and there's no end in sight because we're trying to walk with the Lord here. So she realizes that Jesus takes marriage very seriously, so I tricked her. Um, she always says that. She goes, what did you do? She goes, you're the best salesman ever. You tricked me. <laughs> so what we did is like, uh, so I travel for a living. I, 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 I'm gone constantly. And, and I don't know if you noticed this, but somebody turned off the COVID switch in the world, right? So somebody flipped the switch off. It's great. So 
my, my life is, I've gone from two years of sitting in my house and doing nothing, growing a beard, shaving a beard, growing a beard, shaving a beard, just <laughs> seeing how many times I could do these things. And so now my life has picked up crazy busy. So what Audrey and I decided to do is, like, let's go to Disneyland and celebrate our anniversary. Even though it's this Tuesday, we went last Thursday, because that was the only day we could carve out to spend together this whole month. And now, if you know Audrey, and she's a huge Disney fan, you're like, why are you up no. there wasting pulpit time for the personal stories? It's See, relevant, because we're going to tie into the Antichrist. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to know I'm, I'm good. I'm going to be able to tie into Disney. No, I'm not. But it is relevant, because I'm going to show you something here. Um, but we went to Disney, so my wife is a huge, huge Disney fan. If you don't know Audrey, this is, it, it was, came on late in life. She wasn't like this when we got married. But we, uh, I was in the Air Force, we got stationed out here, and all of a sudden she became a Disney-holic, right? That, that's fine. There's worse things to, to enjoy in this world. So we go to Disney. Now, I have a different approach with Disney. Like, I went to Disneyland once, and that was enough for me, right? And it's not that I don't enjoy it. I think it's great. But it's just waiting in line, the prices, the drive. I mean, there's a million reasons to get me to complain about these things. You notice I don't have a lot of air in my head. There's always a sunburn, and hats fly off. It's, it's a whole thing. But I have found a reason that anchors me at Disneyland. Hit me with a picture, please, Mr. Lee. Is there corn dogs? That's the <laughs> On Thursday. So if you're a fan of corn dogs, like Disneyland has some incredible corn dogs. If you've never had the privilege of paying $10.99 for corn dogs, <laughs> they'll never be good corn dogs. So anyways, this picture, I actually took this picture and sent it to my daughter because she knows I'm all about these corn dogs. And she texts me back. She goes, Dad, you look like you're in paradise. <laughs> and for that brief moment, I was. I skipped breakfast. I was ready for it. It's like, I want to enjoy this moment. Now, why would I waste valuable pulpit time? Because what's happening in John is John's going to actually keep that picture up there. He's actually going to tell us that we're going to be able to learn, be able to test some things, to know some things. We're gonna, he's going to give us some spiritual clues on what to look out for in regards to like false prophets and these people that are trying to be in the church. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, well, what's a relevant example? Like, I was like, man, I really know corn dogs. So what I want to do, Lee, would you zoom in on the corn dog for me, my friend? Okay. <laughs> now, I've taken a monster bite right out of the top. That You're like, how does a human mouth do that? That was one bite. And that last picture, my nostrils were flared because I was breathing out of my nose because there's a giant corn dog in my mouth. But I was thinking, I was like, man, I can look at a corn dog, and I can tell you before even biting into it if it's going to be a good corn dog or a bad corn dog. And I thought, I would share this knowledge with you. Like, like John's going to teach us this thing. So what happens is when I first see a corn dog is look at that color. Come on, that dark brown, because that thing has been cooked correctly. Now you buy a corn dog from Ralph's or Walmart and you microwave it, what color is that corn dog? Yellow. Yes. It's yellow. It's sickly. Right? It's got it's jaundice. It's like, man. And they call it it's because it's dipped in honey. It's like no. Unless you bake it. No. Yeah. Jerry, you're ruining my examples. But the first thing I notice is like, I can tell this can be a good corn dog because of the color. The second thing I can tell is, you see those lumps at the bottom? Well, the average American consumer would say, this is a defect. No, my friends, this thing has been hand battered, right? That's a lump of batter on there because somebody took the time to dip that thing in batter before they put it in the deep fryer. So those kind of, I'm looking for those kind of defects, right? That means no machine was involved in the making of my precious corn dog. The other thing that you, you can tell is the size of it, right? Uh, they didn't put, you know, they didn't, I didn't get robbed of the size of the hot dog. The other thing is if you're there, is you can smell these corn dogs from about half a mile away, right? If you are next to a corn dog stand and you can't smell corn dogs, friends, keep walking. Don't get your corn dog there, right? Like, there's something really wrong with this place, because that's another sign is the corn dog scent 
is powerful. It's like barbecue, right? If you go to a, if somebody says, hey, come on over, we're having barbecue. And you go to their house and you don't smell smoke and goodness, you're going to be disappointed. Man. Someone's, someone's frying something, right? It's like, it's no good. Brian's back there like, yes, that's, that's the truth. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I can tell is when you see the people in line for the corn dogs, most of them, like myself, probably should have eaten a salad, not a corn dog. Let's see the telltale sign is a good corn dog, right? It's like a, it, it's not drawing the salad-eating folks. It's, it's eating people like me that, that will eat three of those things in one sitting. Now, what does that have to do with our text today? I told you, we're gonna, John is going to give us a test. Let's pull up our, our scripture uh, here. This is in 1 John 4. So we're working our way through this. And it's a silly example, but you know, there's certain things in life we can see and we, we can read all about it. We know what we know. And John wants to give us some spiritual tests. He said, hey, I'm gonna, we're going to read what he says, but he's going to tell us how to be able to the spirits behind people, right? Are they of God? Because there's a lot of people that purport to speak for God, amen? There's a lot of things in this world that say this is what you should be doing. And John is worried about this for his churches, and we should be worried about it too. So he's going to give us some tests. So much like the corn dog, you know, again, it's silly, but it's like, okay, I can make all these judgments based upon what I'm seeing. He's going to give us some, likewise, that when people try to speak on, the, on behalf of the Lord, these tests, right? So we, as Christians, we're going to be able to see it and say, wait a minute, let's pump the brakes here, right? This definitely isn't of God. So let's read our text. We'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into what this means. So, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we just ask that you bless our time together in your word. Father, would you open our ears and our eyes? Holy Spirit, we know you're the one that gives us life. You are the one that reveals the deep things of the Father and Jesus to us. So we pray. Uh, we pray for that. Um, help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, uh, yeah, we've been reading First John, right? And John does a lot of these things. He says, by this, uh, you'll know that you belong to the Father. Like if you have love for one another, right? So he's doing a lot of, by this, you'll know. By this, you'll know. And our sermon title is called Brilliance of the Basics. And we think the first John, and I think correctly, is like this is fundamental Christianity. And you'll notice most of the things he's been speaking about have been like loving each other, right? Like John is very big on talking about how we love. And we've kind of de determined that love is a verb, right? Love isn't only what you say, it's what you do, right? Love is expressed through our actions, it's through meeting needs. Amen? Amen. Being available, forgiveness, and all these things. So John has given us all these tests. Now he's moving to the spiritual side of things. He says, hey, you need to start testing the spirits uh, behind some of these people. Now he's mentioned this idea before. Pastor Trace spoke about this. This comes out of chapter 2. Let me read this to you. 218. Listen, listen to these words because it's almost the same exact thing he's writing right now. But there's a difference. He says, children, it is the last hour. 
And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is in the truth. For who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So that's very similar, right? So we have, so one thing linking these together is this idea of Antichrist, right? He says, look, you're expecting this guy to come, but they've already, a lot of them have already come. Now, our verse says the spirit of the Antichrist. In chapter 2, he says the Antichrist, right? The Antichrist. Um, but they, what they both have in common is they deny Jesus Christ, right? So the spiritual side, it denies Jesus is the Christ, and the Antichrist denies that Jesus is the Christ. Do you see that? Now, we're told to test these spirits. Now, that in itself can be kind of problematic because we're like, well, how do I test a spirit? And like, should I go in there and close my eyes and, and start speaking to spirits? I'm going to tell you no. Because two, it says, test the spirits for many false prophets have gone out in the world. So these spirits are speaking through people. Amen? So how do we test the spirits? Is by questioning the people. Amen? The, uh, the New Testament has this, this great theology behind it that many of the actions of men are guided by spiritual beings. Paul uses the language that our warfare is not in flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, powers, minds, and minds, right? So he says, look, our fight is not with people, it's against these wicked spiritual beings. Amen? And John says, he goes, hey, look, the spirit of the Antichrist has gone out, and they're speaking through false prophets. Amen? So you don't have to be a weird spiritualist. Like, So the idea is how we're interacting with people and these false prophets. And the problem is, the Bible says is that sometimes we don't know they're false prophets. The church is a weird organization because we're attacked from the outside and we're attacked from within. Amen? The Bible says that Satan can make himself appear as an angel of light. How much more can he make his servants appear to be ministers of righteousness? That's a direct quote right there, right? So you've heard Jesus talk about the wheat and the tares, right? Like, just because you go to a church doesn't mean you're in the church. I assume you know that, Right? So we have all these things, and we have people on the inside planted by the enemy. We have false prophets on the outside. But John tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist, which can mean against or in place of, and we'll, we'll get into this more as we move towards Revelation, but the whole idea is to move us away from our faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Like there, there's, it, We read at the end there, he calls it the spirit of error. Right? By this you'll know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. It's like those who confess the Son. So the litmus test here is what do you think about Jesus, right? So now, this seems kind of weird, but remember, John's mindset is, is he's like, we know this is the last hour. John is expecting, like, Jesus' second coming to happen any moment here, right? And we'll kind of get into why he thinks that. But he thinks this thing is all about to wrap up. And so he knows that there's coming a man, right, that is going to be called <coughs> the Antichrist. And he's concerned about this. And he knows that when the Antichrist comes, there's going to be the, the Apostle Paul calls it the great deception. Right? And it says that if it were possible, even the elect could be deceived. So we know that at a point in time, that a deception will come upon this earth so strong 
that if it were possible, the elect could be deceived. I mean, I believe that we're going to see some things in this lifetime that might make us question our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, I won't go down the rabbit holes of what I think it could be. They're ultimately fascinating from a science fiction point of view. Right? But imagine if they... Let's use one example so you at least get the idea. Imagine if tomorrow aliens land. We make contact. Somebody lands here. You know, like, it's always like, people wonder, like, what does that do to the church? And let's say these aliens say, we planted your civilizations thousands of years ago when we're back to China. Like, you know how many people who are not rooted in Christ might believe that? Right? I mean, even your face right now is like, boy, what would I do with that information? And what if those guys really weren't aliens? What if they were, like, spiritual beings, right, that were just lying and another deception came on? That's all we'd have to hear, right? Like, it would be, like, not me, hopefully. But you see the idea of this, the level of deception. And Paul says this deception is going to be extremely great. So here's the test, he says. You can test every spirit. Did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? Because these two passages tell us they deny that Jesus came in the flesh, and they deny that Jesus is the Christ. Christ, of course, is the Greek word, right? The anointed one. The Old Testament calls it the Messiah, right? The long-awaited Messiah that we've been waiting for. And so a good idea is to always ask that question. When you're dealing with other religions or other denominations, what do you think about Jesus? You'd be surprised that some people just say some weird stuff, right? So whatever they say, has to be you have to be careful now, because that is the spirit of error. And the Bible says that is the spirit of Antichrist, right? It's the spirit of deception. Well, we think Jesus, well, he wasn't the son of God. He was, we think he was Satan's brother, and you hear all these weird things. It's like, well, you should know John has warned me about. This is a false prophet, right? Now, you don't have to be like, away from me, false prophet, you know? But you immediately should put a guard up around your heart when this person's going to tell me, right? If somebody said, well, there's lots of ways to God, there's all, you know, there's a million examples we could give here where other religions and uh, societal pressures and all these things. No, there's one way to God, and that is the man Jesus Christ, amen? amen. And Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And without him, we're perpetually stuck in our sin. We, we, we know this gospel message. Now, Paul even had these concerns. So Paul uses different language here. In Galatians 1, 6 through 8, this is what he says. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. This early church was being attacked with a lot of false gospels. Amen? And Paul was like, man, I can't believe you're falling for this. John says, test the spirits. A lot of false prophets have gone out there. Now this early church is steeped in Judaism. Amen? Right? This church came from Judaism. So you have Jewish prophets going to these churches saying, hey, now, it wasn't Christ, let me tell you. Actually, it's going to be someone else. It's going to be this. And if you had been a Jew your whole life and you're a recent convert to Christianity, boy, you're going to be awfully confused, right? So again, like the corn dog, here's the test. Ask them what they think about Jesus. Did Jesus come in the flesh? Okay, let's say, yeah, I believe he was a real person. Was Jesus, Christ, was Jesus the Christ? Was he the Messiah? Amen? He says, you'll know what kind of spirit... He says, look, if, if, if that person acknowledges it, he goes, okay, now we, we can at least kind of begin to believe that the Spirit of God at least is operating in the Spirit, right? Now, on the Antichrist side, because now this is the second time we've mentioned this, and 
this uh, word gets a lot of play in popular culture. Who here has heard of the Antichrist? Let me see your hand. You can't get away from this, right? Like you watch the TVs. It's ultimately like, it's like, man, this is a wild topic. I know, like some people, uh, Trace and I are talking about this because after we get to the letters of John, we're going to go through Revelation. And these things are in our Bible for a reason, amen? They're not the greatest topics. Some, like, some people really enjoy talking about them. Some people run from Right? Like, hey, let's talk about love and forgiveness, but let's not get into the weirdness. But the reason why we do line-by-line teaching, right, is because we just need to understand the whole counsel of God, right? So I want to put plant a couple ideas for you to begin to reflect on, on this character, what the Bible says about him, different names, because it's easy to run in weird directions with this, right? Um, so I want to read you what Paul's thoughts are on the whole, this whole topic. This comes out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit. You notice this common theme, amen? But spirits, right? Like speaking either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. I'll pause there. Now, John has told us that we know it's the last hour, right? So John is seeing, he's like, man... Whatever's happening, it's like we're wrapping this thing up. But within this last time period, the Bible talks about there's this coming day, and they call it the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, the Bible says, is the day of great wrath and judgment. Right? We associate this with the coming, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? With the, the shout of an archangel and the, and the blast of a trumpet, right? the Lord comes back. And there's all this great imagery of this great and dreadful day. Now this church in Thessalonica, had been spooked that they missed it, right? Hey, the Lord has come, and you guys you missed it. He's like, hang on. If the Spirit said it, if someone's written a letter, it hasn't happened, right? So just so you understand the context. Verse 3, he says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come. What day? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Unless the rebellion comes first. The great falling away, right? And the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. So Paul calls this Antichrist figure the man of lawlessness. That's his name. He's, he's going to have a couple different names here, but Paul calls him the man of lawlessness. So he says, look, the, the day of the Lord, the coming of Jesus, cannot come until there be a rebellion, an apostasy, a falling away, and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. He says, verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you of these things? John says the same things. I've told you these things from the beginning. It seems to be early Christians were taught this, right? Like, hey, you're taught to love your brothers, right? To, to, to fight off sin, and that this is how these things are going to wrap up. Verse 6, and do you not know what is restraining him now? I'm sorry, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in this time. For, verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So here, John calls it the spirit of Antichrist at work. Paul calls it the mystery of lawlessness is, all, is already at work. John said, hey, there's coming an Antichrist, but many Antichrists have already come out. Paul says there's coming a man of lawlessness, but lawlessness is already at work. Do you see that? So they're speaking of the same thing, but they're using two different terminologies here. Right? I like what Paul says here. He calls it the mystery of lawlessness. He says, only he who knows, 
Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. If you read Isaiah, and we're going to read it in Revelation, again, that's not the purpose of our text today, so I'm trying to give you a primer how we start to think about these things, is that when this guy is killed, Jesus shows up, right? Jesus shows up and kills this guy, right? Like we, we see the return of the Lord. These things are all tied together. Now, when we go through Revelation, we're going to talk about different theories. On, some people believe this already happened. Some people believe it's a future event. So we're going to give equal airtime to both of these things, right, to give you a full presentation of the different ideas. Um, I lean towards this man of lawlessness has yet to be revealed. Uh, that's my personal opinion on these things. Because I do think when he is killed, Jesus shows up. I think that's the return of Christ. But here nor there, verse 9 tells us that the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception, underlying deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. So we see here the activity of anything associated with the man of lawlessness or the mystery of lawlessness, which we are contending with right now, or the spirits of Antichrist we are contending with right now. It says that it's activated by the power of Satan, and Paul says, with all power and false signs and wonders, right? So when Jesus showed up, now think of it this way, when Jesus showed up on the earth, did Jesus use signs to prove who he was? Yes. Not a trick question, yes. What kind of signs did Jesus do? Healing. Healed, yeah. The big ones, healing, right? Water to wine. He, he fed thousands of people with a few loaves and fishes, right? Raised the dead. I mean, who else can do these kind of things? He healed the blind. He cleansed the lepers. My goodness gracious. He transfigured. You know what that means? Like he showed who he really was, right? A few guys got to see that. Jesus read people's minds, Right? People are doubting him. He's like, you know, why do you do this? Right? Like, he's just awesome. So when we think of signs, so it says when this guy shows up, he's going to be doing all sorts of counterfeit signs. And the idea is deception. And the idea is the Antichrist is the idea of in place of Christ, right? So what if somebody showed up and they're doing all sorts of signs and wonders, and he says, no, Jesus wasn't the Christ. The Bible says this guy will say he's the Christ. And the Bible says the whole world is going to go after this guy, right? Because it's one thing to hear stories about a guy that you and I have never seen. We've only read the stories. But when you're physically watching it happen, that's going to be a tough thing, right? Because it's going to it's going to be counterfeit. It's a lie, right? But we won't know. Because the Bible says all the whole idea behind it is deception. So it's going to look like it's altruistic. It's going to look like it's for the good of humanity, right? It looks like this is really... Boy, this guy is the real deal. He's bringing peace. And again, we're not in Revelation, but we're going to talk about all these things this supposed character is going to do. And if you're a Christian and you're not anchored in the Word, you don't understand that these things are coming. Like you're doomed to be tricked, right? I heard a recent poll this year that says, on average, only 13% of Christians read their Bible. 13% of people, and this was a, I forgot the study, or Barnard, one of those, said is, 13% of people read this stuff. So you don't have to, like, there's different ways to parse the scripture, but to realize that these ideas are in here. 
So what happens when I'm confronted with these ideas and I don't know this exists in my Bible? And a lot of churches, they don't preach through the whole Bible. And I'm not saying we're, there's a lot of churches that do. But some churches, like you've heard of the health and wealth churches, right? I only want to talk about the verses talking about God healing me and providing me. Right? Some are activist churches. Like There's all sorts of weird things that happen under the name of Jesus. There's a handful that try to go through the Bible and try to have a big holistic view of the world and sin and man. And that's what we aim to do here. We're not perfect, but our Trace and I's heart is to expose you for as long as we have you to as much as in the Bible. Because who knows how these things wrap up. The end times are one of the most argued about things. And I'm sure when we get into it, we'll all, maybe we'll be even more confused. I'll be the first to say that. I think it's a mystery on purpose. I don't think we're going to know until it happens and we'll look back and be like, of course it was, right? But you need to be exposed to this idea that the world and Satan, their goal is deception. And their goal is to try to blind you from the faith. Amen? Amen. If you're taking notes in this, tragically interesting. Daniel, in the book of Revelation, called this character the beast. Revelation 20.10 tells us the beast's end and it's on the screen there, it says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown, see that word deceived again? He throw, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So we see the beast ultimately has a judgment. When you read Daniel, he sees this beast that devours. I personally like the term beast the best because this describes him. In the garden, if we go back to the very beginning of our Bibles, Adam and Eve are perfect in the garden and they walk with God and they're enjoying life. And they encounter who? A serpent, a snake. And then the next couple, they have, they have a son. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain has some dark things on his heart. And God says, Cain, why are you upset? He says, sin is crouching at the door. You hear, that, you hear the animal term there? Sin in its desires for you. Sin is waiting. And he uses this term like a beast that's waiting to jump. The Bible says Satan walks around like what? A roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So I think this is a very consistent imagery of this beast that devours. Just like sin, right? All these things. And Paul calls it this mystery of lawlessness. I like that. So back to our text. John here is teaching us to learn what is from God and that all who would deny Jesus are not of God. Remember, friends, Jesus told us in John 15, 26, it says that the Spirit from God bears witness of Jesus. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, not the Spirit of error, proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. Remember, if the Spirit of God is speaking, he always bears witness of Jesus. Amen? Amen. It is the Spirit that sheds that light in our heart. And that's how we got saved. Amen? We didn't get saved of our own our own will, right? Like, the Holy Spirit is involved in all these things, bearing witness to the preached gospel. Amen. Now, I wrote in my notes here that we need to learn that, as Paul puts it, is that evil is a mystery, and its goal is deception. If we think about it, the one thing that saves us is the risen Christ. And if Satan wants to block us from sal- people from salvation, all he has to do is blind people from that reality. Amen? That our, our great salvation, our eternal life with Jesus is based upon the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Amen? Amen. That he bore the sins as that great scapegoat. The Bible says that death couldn't hold him. 
He rose victorious from the grave. Believing that in our heart and confessing with our mouth is how we're saved. Right? So it's a heart issue. Like, it doesn't matter. That's why the church can be full of apostate people, right? Oh, we've made the confession, but it's not from the heart. Amen? But once it gets into the heart here, we confess that we're saved. So if Satan can blind people from this, he's got a pretty easy day, right? He goes, hey, these people are still under my domain. Look, look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Now, Satan here is called the God of this world to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan has a lot of titles. He gets called the prince of this earth, the prince of power of the air, the god of this world, the god of this age. And there's, there's a whole study you can do on these terms here. But the Bible says the whole world is under the sway of this wickedness. Amen? Amen. And that, again, this, this idea goes back to Genesis. <clears throat> that God divides the nations. In Genesis 10, he, it's called the table of nations. He divides up the nations. And he says, but Abraham is mine. Right? So the Bible says he gives up the nations to other people. But Abraham is his. And God tells Abraham, he goes, hey, you don't look like it right now, but I'm going to make you a great nation. Right? You remember this promise. But the Bible says all these other nations belong to other spiritual beings. And God has disinherited the nations. And part of the right of Christ when he comes back is to re-inherit all the nations of every tribe and every tongue. That's one of the great messianic promises, right? That in Jesus, he will inherit all the nations back. Right now, the nations, we're all divided. We can still see that. Amen. And Israel belongs to him. That's God's chosen people. He said, through Abraham, these promises can come. Now, the Bible says the church, we get grafted into this promise of Abraham. Amen? Amen. So now we're a part of this chosen people. This is wonderful news. But the rest of the world, the Bible says, is under darkness and under the control and dominion of the God of this age, who blinds the minds of unbelievers. Now, the ultimate goal of the spirit of Antichrist through these false prophets is to blind the minds of people. He says, who is an antichrist? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Remember, Satan's goal is deception. Anything in this world that gets your mind off of that or to cause doubt into that reality is the spirit of antichrist. That's what the Bible says. It is the spirit of lawlessness. This great mystery of evil is at work amongst us. Are there things in this world that blind people to the fact that Jesus is the Christ? Do you think our televisions do that? Do you think the programs we watch lift up this idea or tear, tear down this idea? Yeah. Everything around us is designed to erode these things, right? What about our culture? Our culture slowly impedes on what the Word of God says, right? It's like now we're to a point where what has been wrong is now right. And if you stick up for what is right, you're a bigot, right? You're a hate monger. So ultimately, the truth is getting less and less popular, right? The more you cling to it, right? And you see that's what's causing people to fall away from churches. During COVID, Trace, what was it? Was it one in three churches closed or one in seven? What was it? Do you remember that number? One in four. One in four churches closed because of COVID. And some churches, some people just never came back, right? Hey, we opened up. Now we're good. (laughs) It's crazy to think about. And we had great trust in you guys, but we, Trace and I were doing the same thing. It's like, man, we're, we're doing this online church and less and less people are watching, right? It started off as like, oh, we got 45 people watching on, on YouTube or Facebook. You know, a year into it, it's like, hey, we had 11 today. And that's scary stuff. It's like, man, 
And then we're like, okay, maybe people will go back and watch it later. And then we'd look two days later, it's like, no, we went back and watched it later. <laughs> and then when we met and everybody came back, our hearts were blessed, right? But that's our goal. It's like, hey, if we put enough of the gospel in people, that if the church gets scattered, do they stay with Christ? And this is John's heart here. He said, because deceivers have gone out into the world. And friends, these are not basic deceptions that we're going to be faced with. Like, this seems simplistic. Like, hey, Jesus isn't the Christ, therefore you should do this. He's a lot, like John is using this example, but remember, he's a lot smarter than that. Amen? Like, there's going to be, like, some arguments that are going to make you think. Like, huh, I wonder if there is a Christ. And a lot of our younger generation are are encountering these things, right? They're hearing all sorts of arguments in, in school or colleges and from their friends. And I'm not one of those guys that hate these liberal colleges. Like, I, I, you should go to college. I think. Like, I'm, I'm very pro-education, right? I, I, I'm for these things. But a church that doesn't know how to stand and, and talk about these issues, right, that don't know how to talk about the questions that are being raised, they're falling for the deception, right? All right. That's some good stuff there. All right. Anyways. Uh, we see here the goal is deception. And thanks to Paul, we see who is behind this Antichrist spirit, of course, is Satan. Second Thessalonians 2.9 says, The coming of the law is by the activity of Satan. Now, the Bible also says that God gives them over to this blindness, right? So these people want to be blind, and God says, Hey, you know what? If this is what you want, here you go. He sends the Spirit, right, to blind these people as well. So our goal, the urgency of our gospel presentation, friends, should be fueled by this. John says, many antichrists have gone out into the world. Now, where did Jesus tell us to go? Out. Oh, he told us to go out into the world. To do what? Preach the gospel. And? Of who? Of all nations. Preach the gospel. Now, where did all the false prophets run out to? The world. Right? Where's the battleground at right now? And what is the battle over? Men's souls. Can you see that? Satan is blinding the minds of the unbelievers, and then you and I are running out there with the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to make disciples of all nations. Can you see the ultimate battle that's being played out here? This is the great spiritual battle that we're in. It's not only a battle for us, it's a battle for them. And that's why we call it the Great Commission, because Jesus now says, Now that you're saved, here's what you're to be about. And when you're out in the world, you're going to encounter these spirits that are false prophets. They're different religions, different ideas, different worldviews and philosophies and arguments. It tells you to guard your heart. They deny that Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah. That's the spirit of Antichrist. You can recognize your opponent out in the battlefield. Amen? You don't have to be weird about it, but you're like, okay, I, I was told about this spirit that is coming. And ultimately, the Spirit's goal is to lift up this man of lawlessness, this guy that's going to be in place of Jesus. And these people in your heart should break because they're going to be fooled by this guy because it says that you will be full of all lying wonders. The Bible says if it were possible, we might even fall for it too. So with this in mind, let's look closely at verse 4 of our text. Uh, so 1 John 4, 4, it says, Little children, you are from God and you have over." Them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we have to answer the question, who is them? It says, you are from God and you've overcome them. Well, them would be the many antichrists, the false prophets that have come in the world. You've overcome them. 
Because you know the truth. Amen? We're not to be scared of these guys. We have, and why aren't we scared? It's because greater who is in me is greater than who? He who is in the world. Now we have to answer, who is he? We already have the them, and I would say he is Satan. That's right. Greater, he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. That's a great scripture to memorize. I don't like the, the, the flow of the ESV there. The King James or the New King James has a much better cadence when you're memorizing that. But greater he who is in me than he who is in the world. So when you're out on the battlefield, when you're making disciples of all nations, should you fear? No. And I'm sure if you've ever heard any missionaries that go to like some wild places, there's reasons to fear. People that go to the Middle East and Africa and some of these island nations, right, like, that are physically hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? And we know the spirit that's operating behind these things and the hardness of the heart and the blindness. But John tells us that greater is who's in you than Satan who's in this world. The spirit that lives in you is greater than the God of this world. Amen? Amen. And coming soon, Jesus will again be the God of this world, crowned and anointed king over all the nations. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he will reign from his holy city, right? He will command. He says he will rule with a rod of iron. Like, he, like this is wonderful. To come. The king the Jews wanted 2,000 years ago will come. Amen? Amen. Good stuff. Okay. So our faith, here's what you need to know. So how do we overcome this world and these prophets? The Bible says our faith overcomes the world. In 1 John 5, 4, it says, Whatever or whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Revelation 12, 9 through 11 says this. And the great dragon, who's the great dragon? Yeah. Who was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. There it is again. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Oh, you see this great day. These guys are thrown down. For the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him. Look at this. By what? The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Friends, the word of our testimony is our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Our testimony is him who died in our place, that took our sins. The Bible says, who became sin for us, that we might be justified before our God. That those who believe in Jesus Christ stand innocent before this holy God. Amen? So we see here, they overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, that this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Amen? The, the basic we learn here is to overcome the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit wants us to deny Jesus. But what really overcomes is our faith in Jesus. Do you see these two things? The devil wants us to doubt, and the spirit wants us to believe. When we believe, the Bible says that's how we overcome the world. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. Now, how do we hold on to this faith? How do we fight this good fight of faith as Paul says it? I don't have a list per se, but I would say is get into this word. You need to memorize some of this stuff. You need to find out what this Bible says. It calls his word 
a sword and arrows? Like, how do we fight spiritual battles? You don't punch false prophets in the face, right? Have you ever seen these things? So, have you ever seen like you seen this like do the world a favor, punch a 49er fan in the face? Have you heard that? What? <laughs> <laughs> I had to wake Trace back up because the sermon's about over. Have you ever seen those kind of things? Like, actually, those are really popular in New York. Do the world a favor, punch a Yankee fan in the face. Like, that's why I first saw that was in New York. It's like, well, that's rude and funny. Right? <laughs> but the Bible says we're not to fight each other. It's like fight against these spiritual things. So when's the last time you quoted scripture in your situation? When have you actually used this thing like the weapon it is? These spiritual things don't care about what you have to say, but you know what they bow to? The word. The word of Jesus Christ. When you're tempted to sin, when's the last time you actually quoted scripture and prayed? Instead of falling into these traps. When you got nervous to share the gospel of Jesus, to actually encourage them, lo, I'll be with you, even to the end of this world. Greater is that spirit in you than he who is in the world. Don't be scared of this guy. He's mad. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. That's what Proverbs says. The fear of man brings a snare. Don't be scared of these guys. Don't be scared of your faith. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. But sometimes we have to stir ourselves up. We have to remind ourselves. Because we do get weak, and we do get timid, and we do get scared. But the Bible is there all along to encourage us. Don't be pushed around by the spirit of this world. But be bold in the spirit of our God. Amen? If you read Acts, the, the, the early disciples, they have the audacity to pray for boldness. Now these guys walked with Jesus. They saw the signs. They saw him rise from the dead, right? They were filled with the Spirit. Tongues of fire lashing out on these people. They get together and they still pray for boldness. How much more do we need to do these things? Right? These men were persecuted. These men and women were persecuted. They were put to death. They were crucified. They were sawn in half. Hebrews tells us all sorts of horrid things that these people experienced. And look at us. Hey, that guy might think weird about me. And yet that's enough to keep us away. Amen? The spirit of this world has spooked us. What if I'm not welcome at my job? What if I'm not, what if I'm not liked? All these things that are just trivial. And I'm not talking down to you because I feel the same pressures. Right? I think the same. I know about these things because I feel these things too. All right. Let's close with this idea. So at the very beginning, I showed you that beautiful corn dog. <laughs> And I'm sure you're like, this is the weirdest day I've ever had in my entire life. But as no matter what happens in this life, if tomorrow the church, like the Old Testament, what happens is, you know, they strike the shepherd, the flock scatters. If tomorrow they outlaw Christian gatherings, something happens, right? Whatever, the church is driven underground. Whatever, may, whatever, whatever happens. Let's say another plague comes or, you know, whatever that keeps us away. And you start to hear some things that make you start to doubt things. Think about that corn dog where it's like, hey, I can recognize if this is good or bad. I just need to ask some basic questions here. Test the spirits. What do you think about Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Did he handle my people's redemptions? Ask these questions, friend. And the Bible will have given you an answer. It's either the spirit of error or the spirit of God. Right? Because the goal is deception. Our job is to, to ground ourselves in our faith. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you 
in your wisdom had John write this stuff down. Lord, he could have written a letter and that letter disappeared in history. And the Holy Spirit, you put this into the word that we would read 2,000 years later. Uh, we thank you.